Ha ha. Thank you. Thank you. This is my brand new podcast. I'm pretty excited about this. Late Night with Bradley T. It's a talk show where I'll have some unique and pretty cool guests with exciting backgrounds and dynamic personalities. I'll even be joined by a co-host from time to time, so you won't want to miss it. We'll be discussing today's politics, world news, sports, and how corrupt today's media has become, and the effects it's taken in our personal lives, our freedom, our rights and liberties. And with just a little bit of biblical faith and food, I'll be sharing how to walk through all this madness and maintain peace in your life despite what's going on in today's world. So check it out. Stay tuned. And at the end of each of my podcasts, I'll have a free gift that I'll make available to you. So join me. I'm telling it like it is. I'm your host, Bradley T. Oh, all right. Yes. Welcome to uh, another uh, podcast with Late Night Bradley T. I am excited to be here this evening in the studios doing my talk show, Late Night with Bradley T. Hey, listen, you guys heard my last podcast. It was actually uh, a really, a really special time. It was a Mother's Day uh, special. Um, had uh, uh, my guest on, Alicia. She's a military mother, a military spouse, and she's uh, heavily involved with um, being a key spouse in at her uh, and her husband's um, duty station. They're based here in the United States. It was actually a great time we had. Hope you were able to hug your mom and uh, let her know that she's special. And uh, if your uh, mom or your loved one has gone on to be with the Lord in heaven, well, I know that you celebrated her as she's uh, being celebrated celebrated in heaven, excuse me. Uh, God's word and his promise is this, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And what a special, uh, what a special time it is for mothers. And hope you all had a great Sunday on that day. Uh, today, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm getting away from the liberal loons, but it's okay. I don't always want to bash them because, gosh, they, you know, they take enough uh, beating by just being themselves. I have today a cool guest, a super cool guest. I'm I'm excited. Uh Lonnie Kelp is with me. Uh Lonnie Kelp is got to be one of the toughest men in the world. This guy just a brute strong he is just he is just one of the toughest guys. I he's had um four brain injuries, but is perfectly fine. He has uh, been blessed to be healed and healthy, uh, and um, he's an Iraqi war veteran. Um, he's, got an, he's got a really cool uh, story with uh, the professional bull riders, PBR, as he toured with them. And uh, it's just a, a great honor to have him here. You know I love the military. I love the men in blue, our emergency responders. You you, you all know, my listeners, I am top-notch. I, I love our men and who serve our country, and I will always honor them. 
I'd like to introduce my guest today, Lonnie Kelp. How you doing, man? Welcome. Good, Mr. Bradley. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Welcome to the studio. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be good. All right. Um, 2004, is that when you... Uh, well, first, let me... Um, let me let me go back a little bit. Um, when we met, uh, I think it was at a professional bull riders, uh, a professional the PBR. It was a uh, a tour here in uh, Colorado Springs. We uh, went out there as a family, and uh, you were able to get us backstage so I can check out the bulls in person. And if now for those of you who are followers and uh, love the rodeo and bull riding as a competition if you see the bulls from up in the stands but if you've ever seen a bull in person it is actually an amazing and they're the size of a small car and maybe sometimes a mid-sized car they're just super huge and uh, you got us backstage for that uh, you know i'm going to come to that but uh, just just to let the listeners know that you know this is how uh, I got to know uh, Lonnie Kelp real good, and his story is absolutely fascinating. Uh, what year did you join the the service? You, were you mili- um, Army, uh, Marines? Yeah, I was Army. <clears throat> I actually uh, joined back in 2003, August, and uh, I joined to be a tanker. I um, was super excited about it and wanted to start my career in the military and do my due diligence as an American citizen and serve my country. Awesome. That is, that is amazing. Were you out of high school? Uh, how did, how did that work? No, I started back when I was 22 years old and yeah, it was about a year and a half. Uh, like we talked about bull riding about a year and a half after my older brother was killed bull riding. Um, so that was a real tough ordeal for a while with the family and, you know, I always had uh, an attachment with the bulls and bull riding and being around it and stuff. And, you know, uh, after about a year and a half of trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and dealing with all that stuff, I decided I was going to join the military. And uh, it took me on a whirlwind of an adventure, and it was it was good and changed my life forever, that's for sure. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Um, so... While you uh, ventured into that uh, new career, um, tell us what that was like, like, uh, you know, joining uh, boot camp. Everybody has, uh, you know, kind of a different, um, you know, perspective of how they went through uh, boot camp. And you actually uh, you actually had your first brain injury uh, in boot camp. Is that correct? Yeah, that is. Um, Actually, so I really liked boot camp. Um, Maybe I'm a little bit crazy, but I was in really good shape, so I didn't didn't get really picked on much. Um, It actually started, I want to say, like four weeks in, I believe it was. Um, You know, they yell at you, tell you to do this, that, and the other thing. And it was one of those mornings that they told us that we needed to hurry up, get out to formation. Well, I was on my way back from the shower, and uh, took off running down the hallway and hit a wet spot. My feet came out from under me, didn't catch myself at all, and landed on the back of my head. Uh, honestly, I don't even remember it. Um, they had to tell me later on. It wasn't until years later that I actually even 
knew that I ended up with that. I knew that something would happen, something went wrong, but I didn't even know until they explained it to me later on uh, when I pulled my military <laughs> records that that uh, was something that happened in basic. So it was pretty crazy how it wipes your memory. Were you, yeah, that, I mean, that really sounds like a uh, um, an injury that, you know, would actually send you home. Holy cow. How did how did that uh, continue um, in in the uh, infirmary? Uh, were you able to um, pass the tests of concussions uh, protocol and things like that? Honestly, I don't even remember being in the infirmary. Not even a little bit. <laughs> You're kidding? Uh, no, I have wow. no, I have no recollection of it. Wow. Um, at no time did I. I just um, there was a gap in time that was missing. I didn't know why or what and. You know, sometimes uh, maybe it's just me, but it seems like that happens in life. You have a little bit of a gap of memory where, you know, you don't have things. Well, that was gone, and I was like, ah, oh, I didn't think twice about it. And so I just continued on uh, basic. And, and and they they let you. You so ev- evidently you, w- maybe without your, you knowing, uh, they probably ran um, you know tests and made sure you were okay, no swelling. Um, also just making sure you knew where you were at, you know, and, and they had to, otherwise they'd have sent you home. Uh, but you continued on. And, uh, but prior to this, let, let's go back right out of high school. Um, a lot of kids will join the military. You, uh, evidently, um, some years passed through. What, what were you doing during that time? Were you going to school or? No, I actually started in construction. Um, a friend of the family that a construction company and, uh, started working with them and then nine eleven, you know, my brother passed away and then nine eleven happened and you know, I felt it heavy on my heart that I really wanted to do something to serve the country and I felt that that would be my best option is to join the military. Uh construction. Uh you mentioned to me as we were talking prior to um us going live on the air that uh, you did some was it oil rig digging, uh, real uh, rig digging? Uh? So I was a roustabout, but that was uh, later on after my military career. But yeah, I was a roustabout uh, in the oil fields. Uh, but that was after you, sir. Oh yeah, wow! Yeah, yeah. What so is a roustabout? <laughs> so you go out and do uh, maintenance on oil fields, uh, like the uh, pumps and wells and different things like that. So you're out there just maintaining stuff. We. Uh, also built a big saltwater uh, treatment facility. After you frack and you pull all the stuff out of the ground, they put it in this treatment facility, and that's kind of how they process everything. That's fascinating. Yeah. All right, well, let's fast forward. Uh, after boot camp, uh, what, what uh, did you go to, like a quick schooling? Uh, what, what what took place? So after boot camp, I you know, <laughs> it's that famous line, Believe everything your recruiter tells you. No, no, don't really believe it. <laughs> I love the military, but I don't know why <laughs> the the recruiters, they tend to tell you things, and you want to believe them, but it just doesn't happen that way. So as what happened is right after basic, I uh, got sent home for two weeks of hometown recruiting. Um, mind you, I was uh, went to basic to be a tanker and uh, went home for the two weeks of hometown recruiting. And then I had orders to go to Baumholder, Germany. And so I got sent over to Baumholder, Germany. The Rock is what they called it. And uh, when I finally got there, um, got to the in-processing center, and they said, congratulations. And we're like, what? Congratulations? What's going on? Well, you guys are the last group to go down to Iraq. You're going to go down, help them uh, 
clean up all the equipment and then drive it down to Kuwait and then put it on the boats and come home. And I was like, well, they said I'd be in my duty station for at least a year so I can get an idea of what's going on, right? Basic doesn't – it gives you some idea, but it's not it's not really that good of an idea of it's what really not, happens. It's not boots on the ground. Not even at all, no. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so I in-processed and – between basic and and my duty station, I got married, and so I had to get the housing and everything set up uh, real quick. I was there three and a half weeks, and then I was on my way to Iraq three and a half weeks after being to my first duty station. So it was just a whirlwind of here we go. Wow, that is uh, that is definitely fast. Uh, but during that time, um, I suppose everything was um, they were moving quickly most most uh everything that you you were involved in was basically closing things out like getting it shut down and uh getting back to the US um from germany did you uh fly into uh iraq where did you fly into and tell me about tell me about that so yeah <laughs> that's the interesting part so you know for me, the toughest part, um, as any veteran can tell you, um, dealing with PTSD and everything that happens in the war, it, uh, it really wears on you. Um, you know, I was raised uh, tough. Uh, my dad was a good man, and so was my uh, grandpa. They uh, both instilled you always be strong and be the strong one and stuff. And so for me, the, you know, getting getting help after the military um, – with PTSD and stuff, uh, it wasn't on my priority list. And when I finally did get help uh, was when I started being able to change my life and, and talk about these things. And so uh, one of the things they teach you uh, during your process of uh, trying to get this all out and be able to function and, and try to get somewhat of a normalcy for your life uh, is to either talk about it in counseling or write it down. Yeah, Absolutely. And so for me, my first experience going into Iraq, I decided I was going to write down um, in a college paper to my professor. And this is, mind you, after about three years of uh, three years of counseling I had been going to. And I finally was like, you know what, I got to start putting the work in because if I don't, then this is just going to consume my life. And I think that's where a lot of veterans can get hung up. It's really hard, especially when you're raised, you know, you're supposed to be that strong one. You're supposed to be the tough one. And you know, you pick up and drive on and you know what? Sometimes you got to check your ego at the door and look around and go, you know what? I got to do better for me. I got kids, you know, two little girls and I got to do better for them. And so this is my way to start doing better. And so, uh, yeah, when I was writing this paper, it was definitely a, a fun one just to try to get out my intro into Iraq. So uh, we flew in on a C-130 um, I actually got real lucky sitting next to a first sergeant who had tons of experience and and stuff. And so, watching and talking to him during this trip was a. a and you you were me. you were in the air. Yeah, we're flying along in the C one thirty. It's so loud in there. So basically, out of you're, Germany. Yeah, yeah. So we're basically yelling at each other, oh, and, and <laughs> you know, trying to talk back and forth and stuff. But just a really really cool person down to earth and stuff and. We're going along, and all of a sudden, this red light starts flashing. The 
plane goes into nosedive, and I look over to the first sergeant, like, am I supposed to be scared? Am you I guys supposed are, to... You guys are strapped in, right? Yeah. So they're um, cargo net seats is what there is. So you got cargo in the middle, and then you're along the outer edge, and there's uh, cargo net seats that drop down, and so you get to sit and strap into these. And and so that red light starts going off, and we go into nosedive, and at this point, they hadn't said anything, and I look at the first sergeant, like... Am I supposed to panic? What What am I supposed to do? Because remember, I'm still fresh out of basic. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, you know? right. I'm this new guy. Yeah. And so then they're like, oh, yeah, we're being shot at. Something about deflector flares. I, I don't know. I It was so just in the moment. And when I saw the look on his face of terror, like, okay, you should probably be scared now. <laughs> <laughs> and so we just go down, and all of a sudden they pull out of this nosedive, and we landed. It just seemed like so fast. I don't know how fast they did it, but they they landed us really fast. Uh, it was really interesting how it worked. Um, Got to love the Air Force. They they do a great job with their planes, and yeah, it was really cool. And uh, and and the Air Force, we love them. Yeah, Lo- love all branches. Uh, uh, my guest last week was um, uh, mother and uh, spouse, key spouse to uh, Air Force uh, uh, sergeant. Yeah, sar- or I'm sorry, master sergeant. You know, honestly, there's that stigma out there. Oh, the Army's better. The Navy's better. The Marines are better. The Air Force is better. The, you know, National, all these guys. Honestly, without one another, we're all a team. You know, we all have our functions, and we all do, you know, without one another, we wouldn't have what we have for a military to always be there to support each other. It's like the five fingers on one hand. Yeah. And to put a glove on it, you know, that protects that hand. And the hand is the United States, our democracy. Our liberties and our freedom, and yeah, that's that's incredible. So you're going at a nosedive, and all of a sudden, okay, we're coming in for a landing. Were were, were the rest of the guys uh, shaken up? The, oh yeah, who was with you. The, were they like, <laughs> yeah. what is going on? You know, when you we're go, in Iraq. Yeah, you got a first sergeant next to you who's been to war quite a few times, and he's real nervous, shaking in not shaking in his boots, but he was pretty nervous. I'm, I'll give you that. He definitely was very nervous. And uh, so we do finally land, and uh, we grab our duffel bags, rug sacks, and, and they bring us outside, put us in formation, and we're just sitting there waiting. And then they come out and say, okay, we're going to put you on Blackhawks, and we're going to fly you over to uh, the Baghdad airport. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. I've never been in a helicopter, so Black- this would be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, Blackhawks, cool. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm kind of excited. This is cool, you know. The the idea of war has not set in yet. Mind you, I'm fresh out of basic, never been to war. You see movies, but... War is nothing like nothing the can compare. No, you can't. Nothing. No, you don't get that feeling. Um, you don't understand. I thought I did. I thought, yeah, I got this. Whatever. And uh, so we hop on these Blackhawks, and I, I, it felt like we were literally like fifty feet off the ground. Realistically, we we're probably like three, four, five hundred feet off the ground. Um, it's late at night. I've got my rucksack, duffel bag. You know, I'm right next to the door. Doors are wide open. And we're just screaming across the sky. And I'm, I'm enjoying this, right? Because, mind you, I don't know. We're really in war yet. It hasn't really sank in. They tell you, but it hasn't sank in. And I look out, and all of a sudden, I see these little flashes of lights going by. And this is in the Blackhawk? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's dark outside it, at night. And I look over to this sergeant who's next to me that was a part of the crew of the helicopter crew. I was like, hey, Sergeant, look, <laughs> there's fireflies. He goes, you idiot, put your head down. Those are not fireflies. Those are tracer rounds. We're being shot at. I was like, oh, crap. 
you know? So for me, I was like, oh my gosh, like, okay, maybe, maybe this really is war. I don't know. You know, I'm this brand new private has no experience. don't understand war yet. And I'm like, oh wow, the tra- tracer runs. That's not a firefly. I was excited that it was a firefly. Now you oh, got me, gosh. you know, pretty <laughs> scared. And so we, uh, we get over to Baghdad airport and we finally land and, uh, they're, you know, their rotors are coming to a halt and things are starting to quiet down and we're all standing out there right outside the Blackhawks with our bags and stuff. And another formation, got to love those formations. And, uh, they say, okay, uh, you see the hangar way over there? Yep. Yep. Um, you know, we're going to walk over there. If for some reason we get a mortar attack that comes in, you drop everything and just run. Oh, okay. I don't know what a mortar is. I, you know, you see a movie and stuff, but you don't really know what a mortar is. And so, uh, we start walking. It was maybe minute and a half, two minutes after we're walking. And it is a sound you'll never forget. And every man, woman, person that's been to war will know. But when you hear that first doop, and then there's a second or two of silence, and then there's you, it is one terrifying noise. I dropped my bags, but there was a guy probably three, three times the size of me, and he was gone. <laughs> But he'd already been to war, so he knew. But he was gone. Like, I I ran as fast as I could, and I, I was a fast runner, like a really fast runner. He beat me to the hangar. I don't understand how he beat me to the hangar. That's how terrified this guy was. So I knew that that guy, if he could move that fast, I need to be moving as fast as yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> Like, I something's agree. really wrong. Yes. And we, uh, on the way to get into the hangar, we're all sprinting there. Uh, off to the side, there was what they called Tent City. And the explosion landed over in Tent City. And so we're just like, holy cow, you know, and another formation. Everybody just stand in formation, telecoms down, and then we'll uh, reconvene and, and go from there. Nobody was injured in Tent City, I hope. Well, and that's the thing. So we're <laughs> standing there just kind of in a relaxed formation and talking and stuff. Man, that was so crazy. Because there was probably 10 guys and a few of which I had gone to basic training with, like, these guys, I had already been to basic, and we're all just kind of looking at each other like, whoa, man, we are in war. This like, is real. This is real. Like, this is not a movie no more. This is real life. And so, uh, yeah, we're standing in formation. It seemed like just forever. It probably was more like an hour, hour and a half. And finally, Lieutenant Colonel comes out and puts us at um, attention, parade rest, and we're just standing there. And uh, next thing you know, he's like, yeah, uh, the – Mortar landed over in Tent City. The guy's leg got blown off. It's no big deal. He's going to get sent up to Longstool. He'll be able to go home, and uh, he'll get to Walter Reed and be able to go home and see his family. And I'm like, at this point, I'm I'm looking left. I'm looking right. This guy's talking about a blown-up leg like it was just no big deal. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, wow. <laughs> dude's leg literally just got blown off, and you act like this happens all the time. Mind you, I didn't realize we're in war, right? We're in yeah. war. This is the new guy. Right, yes. And I'm looking left, I'm looking right, and everybody that had never been to war, like the guys I went to basic with, we're all looking like, oh, my gosh. Like, what did we get ourselves into? Holy cow, what is this? Yeah. yeah. And so that was that's when it finally settled in. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how it is for others. I've talked to some people and kind of similar type experience that, you know, until things start really happening and going on you don't realize that you're in war you're you're just somewhere else whatever and then all of a sudden boom so um 
where at that point um you've got settled in you're back you're on duty uh doing what you were trained to do in your job um how did the uh, second uh brain injury come about so actually uh after that we had 3 days of IRT training um and we learned about all the Iraqis and all that stuff their culture their life their language everything we needed to do ROIs and stuff like that to survive and uh <clears throat> mind you at this point we we only have our flak vests we don't have the metal plates that go on our flak vests yet we didn't have our weapons we just had our duffel bags and rucksacks that's literally all we had and so they were like all right well we're going to take you out to your uh different fobs or bases and like camps like camp victories all these other camps and stuff and and so, uh, yeah, I was standing there and with a bunch of the guys, and we're just talking because we didn't have to stand formation. We're just talking and look over, and here comes this big red bus. And I'm like, a, a big red bus? This has to be a joke. Like, uh, we're <laughs> in war. This big red bus has bullet holes, like, all over the dang thing. I mean, it wasn't completely riddled with bullets, but it definitely had been shot at, right? And at first, you're just kind of like, you got to be kidding. You're putting me in a big red bus in a war zone. And going to send me off this, you know, we are at Baghdad Airport. And I'm thinking, if this is supposed to be a, one of the safer places and you're going to send us somewhere else, like, what is this really going to be like? You know, we got a gunner truck in front, a gunner truck in back, the driver who had an M16 next to him. There was a guy at the front door with an M16 and a guy at the back door with an M16. That's, that's it. We didn't have our weapons. So we had a busload of guys going out to all these different places with no weapons, no metal plates, no nothing. We got our Kevlar helmets, but that's it. And so they take us out to our different units and I get out to my fob and they said, uh, yeah, we're overpowered in tank, man. Anybody know how to drive truck? And I was like, heck, I was a farm boy. I can drive anything. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> yeah, raise my hand. <laughs> the thing that they tell you never to do, don't raise your hand. Don't be that guy. And I was like, you know what? I don't care. I like to drive. It's no big deal. But Remember, I'm, I realized I'm in war, but I didn't realize what they were going to need a driver for. Yeah, right. I, I, it's an innocent, you know, mistake or uh, misunderstanding. Right. I, I would have been like, oh, drive? That sounds safer than standing in the back <laughs> open, you know, as an open target. Let me, let me sit in the cab. Right, right. That's what you think. And so, uh, yeah, for me, um, I was, yeah, no big deal. So I became a driver and they, uh, said now, uh, you're qualified on a cargo helmet, a fueler, a five ton and a head. And I was like, Oh, cool. Whatever. You know, I'll drive it. Just put me in and I'll drive. No big deal. Oh, country. Oh, country. Well, I'll drive right. you. <laughs> I'll drive it. I'll drive anything. Oh, and by the way, you're part of a transport unit running supply lines all over Iraq. And I was like, uh, what, what, what did you say? At this time they had already separated us into our group. So now I'm stuck. Like, there's no going back. There's no trying to get back in my tank unit. You know, I'm a part of the HHC-135, Bombholder Germany. You know, we're running the supply lines all over, and there's no going back now. So I, I saw one time um, a, uh, a a friend of mine, he's uh, Air Force. Uh, he was an officer uh, in the Air Force, and he showed me a video of a uh, a, a transport guy in Iraq. Well, I, I don't, a guy, a driver. And it was a military vehicle, and uh, I think there was two, uh, like a gunner behind them. But there were four civilian, uh, probably jihadis, uh, um, Taliban, that were in fast pace. They were just chasing them down. 
and the uh, the the poor guy in the back on that gunner, and um, he was trying to take some shots at him, but they were after that supply truck. Yeah, and that's the thing back in. <clears throat> so it was 04 when I was there. Uh, I landed February 14th of 04. And the biggest thing was, is remember, I'm supposed to just go there, help them clean these vehicles and go home. Yeah, ship them off and go home, drive them to yeah. Kuwait where it's kind of <laughs> safe. Right. That, yeah, that didn't, hamp- that didn't happen. I was there for two weeks, and two weeks after we were there, uh, Colonel comes out and he's like, oh, uh, by the way, we got extended. I felt bad for the guys around me. I've only been here like two and a half, three weeks with IRT and all that other stuff. And I'm already like, man, this is insane. It's hot. Or it wasn't super hot at that time. It was it was warm, but just the just the fact of having to be there and all the conditions and MREs and you know it wasn't really built up back then. But uh, yeah, he comes out says we're extended uh, for another six months. We're moving to a different um, base. At that time, they uh, shoved us over to Camp Striker. But with the supply uh, lines that we were running, we got um, basically that was our home, um, and they'd shove us out from there. So I was. At Cal Sioux, St. Michael's, Anaconda, all these other places that we run supplies to. And that was a problem with the supply lines kept getting cut off. You know, and <clears throat> to be honest, back then, uh, that's when they were capturing the soldiers and behead- beheading them and stuff like that. And at this point, you know, I, I like my knives. And so I had two boot knives, two, you know, on, on your cargo pants, you got two, two Leathermans on each side. I got two hip knives. I got a big old dagger across my chest. I'm like, if these guys are going to get me. Because you had no weapons. No, we, at this point, when they finally got us out to our uh, forward operating bases, we finally got our weapons, M16s. Mind you, we still didn't have our metal plates in our flak vest. That didn't come for probably three months, actually. I uh, uh, made a phone call back home. My, uh, my wife at the time, uh, she worked for one of the senators. And I finally was able to make a phone call back home and let her know what was going on. And literally within three days after making the phone call, whoever she talked to, whatever she did, they got us metal plates for our flak vest. I don't know what happened or who who she talked to or what exactly went on. But literally three days after I made that phone call, we had our metal plates for our flak vest. And that was three months in with no metal plates. But we did have our M16s. And so uh, being in this transport unit, um, yeah, definitely was a, a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Um, so when we were uh, in uh, Cal Sioux, we got tasked out to MPs, uh, EOD, and all this other stuff. And that's kind of where my second uh, brain injury came into play. Uh, so I was a part of um, a unit that got tasked out with EOD. Um, we went out there, and we... Pulled up with our cargo helmets, and uh, they had all these unexploded ordinances. So the, would the U.S. would buy from the civilians any unexploded ordinances to try to get it off the streets and so Absolutely. they couldn't use it against us. You right. Know? Yeah, smart. Smart, really smart. And so rockets, mortars, anti-tank mines, plastic grenades, shoot, all sorts of stuff. And so I'm looking at all this stuff on the ground. And I'm like, man, this is crazy stuff. Well, come to find out, some of them still got, like, uh, fuses in them. And so when we're transporting it, the EOD guys are like, yeah, you got about 3,000 pounds of explosives here. Uh, don't worry about wearing your flak vest, Kevlar. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, if you hit one bunk, bump the wrong way, that fuse, you're dead. There's just nothing left to you. It doesn't matter anyways. You might as well just be comfortable. <laughs> At this point, I'm like, oh, okay. And I didn't, it didn't really set in until um, – 
we took our first uh, route, uh, load out there to the canals, and we offload everything. And uh, when we're offloading it, uh, we set up the C4, and then we go away and and do a remote detonation. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Look at that, you know, mushroom cloud. It's like what you see off of a movie. That was so cool. So then we go back, and it's at the end of the first day, and they only accept um, munitions uh, till a certain time. And so these people brought in another load and and stuff, and uh, the uh, we told the interpreter, hey, go let them know they'll have to come back tomorrow. Well, there is these uh, berms they built around Kalsu, and they drove out the back between those two berms. Well, remember that part where I told you about the fuses are still in them? Right. Right. So they hit a bump. And it hit one of the fuses the wrong way, completely blew their truck to smithereens. That was my very first day to see that, oh, crap, if I hit a bump or do something wrong or don't load this the right way, that's me. Yeah, and you're driving. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so. So, so you're, unloading, you're unloading these. Yeah. Uh, were you up on the truck? No, so this, was, uh, so this was the first day. That was my intro. So we're standing there watching all this just happen. And so this explosion happens, and mind you, afterwards we had to go move everything and and stuff. But it just it it sets with you, and you're really nervous. And so we uh, so we go out the next day, and uh, so it's my second day out there. And this time we're hauling five thousand pounds of explosives. And so we get out there to that's a lot. It is a lot. And but you've also handled bulls <laughs> right, over right. a thousand pounds. <laughs> Go ahead. Yep. And so uh, we get out there. Um, I got all the guys down on the ground, and I'm up on top of the truck. They're down in the canal, and I'm handing these uh, mortars, rockets, anti-tank mines, all the stuff down to them, and they're all just taking it and kind of spreading it out in this canal, and this where we'd blow very it up. carefully, very carefully. Still has the fuses in it, right? And so all of a sudden, we hear this dupe. We don't have our flak vests on. We don't have our Kevlars on at this point because, remember, the EOD guys, anything happens, you're dead anyways, yeah. right? And so— Is it the same sound that you heard at the uh, Baghdad airport when you— Yeah, it was that dupe noise. Uh, you, you don't get used to it. You just know when you hear it. You just hope and pray that it's not coming your direction. And this time, it was coming our direction. Luckily, uh, I say luckily because I'm still alive, but luckily it landed on the opposite uh, side of the uh, hum, uh, the uh, cargo hemet. And when it landed on the other side of the cargo hemet, it threw me headfirst down into all these so the ex- munitions. So the, oh. Yeah, so, the so I land headfirst, like literally down in the pit with all my guys and these munitions. The explosion lifted you out that ba- the back of that truck and then put you head first into right. the percussion, that ammunition. The percussion's insane. You don't realize what kind of force those things carry. And, and I was already in, on the edge and just had handed down one of the munitions. It was oh, a mortar round. Oh, sakes. And the guy heard the dupe, and he just tossed it off to the side and ran, like, the other way down the canal because he knows that, you know, <laughs> they, it lands it, anywhere close and this blows up, he's gone. So he took off running down the canal and I'm kind of hunched over because I literally just knelt down and I'm like, oh crap, boom. And before I had a chance to react or do anything, next thing I know, I'm head first into this ditch. Uh, when I finally did come through too, I don't know how long I was out for or exactly how much time had passed, but I'm laying on, at this point, we were almost done unloading, probably about 4,000 pounds of unexploded ordinances and still had the fuses in it. 
I'm looking around going, how did this happen? One, I'm still alive. And two, I'm laying on top of 4,000 pounds of explosives. Whoa. Wow. So no more live rounds came back at you? No, no. Not, it? not that day. Were you, uh, were, you, were you able to get up and get in the truck and then drive back and get help with your injuries or did they uh medevac you out so no they didn't medevac me out um you know that that toughness that that dad and grandpa and and stuff instilled in us pick up drive on army's the same way you know you pick up drive on unless you're dead dying in their hospital you just keep moving it doesn't matter and for me um i felt dazed and confused for weeks after um just kind of out of it but i didn't want to be that guy that was like oh i need to go you know and I need to go see a medic or I need to go home or whatever. I didn't want to be that guy. You yeah. know, I want to be the yeah. tough guy. I'm still new at this and I don't want to give up. I want to fight as hard as I can to get through all this. And, right. And, and get that stuff loaded up onto the ships and, and come home. Yeah. So, yeah. so so fast forward, you you you, uh, you come home. Um, were you able to, uh, you know, like get right back into civilian life? Uh, is that where, um, you know, you started some counseling? Was it right away? Did it take, you know, months? Uh, how, how'd that, uh, kind of take place for you? Um, the way we came out of Iraq, um, and we integrate back into society at Baumholder, Germany. See, I was working with EOD and all those exploded ordinances. I was exposed to some stuff, the burn pits and water treatment facility and everything else up there. So, it started causing me some issues, and I eventually um, ended up at Walter Reed, um, then Launch Stool, or not Walter, I was Walter Reed, and then from Walter Reed to uh, Fort Lewis, and then they eventually just medically, honorably medically discharged me. And so, like you said, you know, do you get help right away? Well, no, because I was this service-connected combat vet that I gave my heart and soul into, and I feel like they just kind of swept me under the rug. You know, I, I feel like once you get out, it's almost like they just forget about you. Um, I had these all these awards, accommodations. I worked my butt off for all my um, rank. Um, I always had waivers to get it sooner than I was supposed to get it and, and stuff. So I got out in 2006, and when I got out, I was so angry with the military and uh, stuff. I didn't know because it wasn't really explained back then that the military and the VA are separate. They are not uh, two entities together. They're separate entities. Um, they do not talk to each other. They do not help. They, it's, it's not anything like what you would think. And so when I got out in 2006, I said, forget this. Uh, I want nothing to do with this. You guys treated me like I was just nothing, even though I had all this stuff. So I'm done. And so for two years, I tried to play the tough guy role. Um, it wasn't until I was working at Alcoa, um, it's a worldwide aluminum production plant, and ended up getting a supervisor's position out there over about three-month period, and, and I'm working a rotating shift. It's a tough thing. Day, night, day, night, day, night. Well, I knew I had PTSD because they told me when I got out of the military, but I didn't know the extent of it. And so with working alternating shifts days and nights, it exacerbates your symptoms of PTSD. My nightmares and startle responses were getting out of control. I was really struggling. I'd not getting sleep. And it just, it was really horrible. And finally, I checked my ego at the door. It took all that two years checking my ego at the door because I had my first daughter at that time, which was Isabella. 
I can either keep going down this road and end up not being a good father, not being a good husband or being a good person, so on and so on. Or I can check my ego at the door and I can go get some help. It's a tough thing to do. I am not going to sit here and tell you that, yeah, you just wake up one day and decide. No, it's really tough. And I see why veterans have such a hard time with it. Yes. It is a struggle. And so when I finally got some help, um, that's when uh, things started to change and and stuff. And it, it takes time. I You know, I've been in counseling for on and off for the last 13 years. Well, know? and... You know, one of the one of the things as you and I were talking about um, prior to uh, going live here is the fact that you have a um, a desire, a uh, you know, a, a, a loving heart for veterans and um, and what you're doing now, and um, you're going, you're you're back in school, you're back in college, and uh, you want to perform at a different level. To help other veterans, whether they be uh, younger veterans, older veterans, and um, anything service-connected. And, you know, as, as we were talking and I was listening to you, you really have a heart for your, you know, the, your comrades and your uh, those who serve, whether they're um, Vietnam War veterans, uh, the, the few Korean War veterans we have, the I- Iraqi War veterans, and... Um, uh, my son-in-law is uh, uh, two tours in Afghanistan. Um, he did a small stint in Iraq, and uh, a lot of a lot of those countries surrounding there, Kuwait, uh, Qatar. So, you know, there there is a need for guys like you who have walked through that, and uh, what a testimony it is for you that you can um, give back to them, and so. You know, I encourage you to, uh, you know, continue, get your education, um, and, uh, you know, continue forward helping uh, veterans. I think that's a, I think it's an important thing. I, I don't think there's enough of those guys like you and uh, what what advantages you can give to them. I mean, you walk through some really dark times, so, I, you know, I think it's great. Uh, thank you for your service. What an incredible uh, part of it was a season in your life that you know I know now as we talk that you wouldn't take it you wouldn't exchange that for anything except for some of the you know some of the other stuff you know but <laughs> right um you know and maybe it took that to uh kind of place you in an area in your life where you may um benefit others so we all have um assignments you know and they're divine appointments you know and I pray Lonnie that uh, this you can use one day as a divine appointment to help, uh, even if it's just one guy out of a thousand that you 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 can change. So I hope all thousand that any anybody that comes across you, that you will change them and um, gear them in the right direction. Um, fast forward after that, hey, listen, you started working with the uh, well, e- e- wait a second, you were a bouncer. Yeah, yeah. So uh, actually, <laughs> yeah. So after that, uh, Alcoa shut down um, because of the economy crash and stuff. And so yeah. I came back to Spokane from Wenatchee and and uh, started bouncing. And that's because bars and clubs were open. The yeah. economy was tanking, but people were still partying. Yeah, people always party, no uh, matter what kind of. Always you know, having a good time. Yeah, no, what kind of economy we have? Yeah. 
so for me, yeah, I used my PTSD to my advantage. Um, when you have that's PTSD, incredible. I love that. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, it's okay. So you have to figure out in life um, how to maneuver, um, how to work around your disabilities, uh, if you will. PTSD, it's not a physical disability, right? It's a Absolutely. mental disability. Absolutely. People don't see it. They don't know. And until you tell them or they realize, oh, they wow, this guy it. jumped out of his skin when that gun went off over there. He must be, you know, ser- you know, service-connected veteran or had PTSD from something or you know, then they can ask questions and they'll figure it out. But it's not something you walk around with a sign on your head that says, hey, I got PTSD, right? And so, uh, yeah, so for me, uh, going through counseling, I was finding my outlets, my triggers and things like that. Well, um, at a heightened state of awareness when you're in PTSD, uh, it definitely, your senses are on par. I literally was able to scan the room, um, size up everybody, uh, be able to know when something's about to go down or not go down and who I needed to take out if I needed to not like literally take out, but go over and say, hey, you know, you're getting a little too drunk or you're getting a little too rambunctious. I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to ask you to leave. You know, I was never one of those people in four years I bounced and um, I can tell you that in four years I never once threw a punch at anybody, never tried to physically hurt anybody. Your job as a bouncer is just keep everybody safe and secure around you and let everybody have a good time. And that's it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so check I, and that I ego. Do, but, I, but I tell you what, uh, if, if my listeners, uh, if they knew Lonnie Kelp, uh, you wouldn't want to get punched by Lonnie. This guy <laughs> is brute, strong, and tough. He's one of the, I'm telling you, I know some tough guys. I've seen tough guys on TV. I've seen tough guys. This guy is tough. Uh your car accident. Um, yeah. We were talking about your car. That was the third third uh, brain injury. Was that was that after your bouncing uh, experience uh, or your job? Yeah. So um, after that, um, I started uh, helping my dad and working with him and running his doggy daycares with him and stuff. And really good job. Uh, really good daycare and love the dogs. And it's just great all around. I absolutely loved it. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, but I was driving to go pick up some supplies from, uh, Costco. And next thing I know, um, uh, the last thing I remember is some lady coming at me that I thought was going to turn into the turn lane and that's it. Um, so she, I guess, uh, T-boned me on the driver's side. Um, I had a Dodge Ram 3500 mega cab. And Goodness sakes, that's a good-sized truck. Right. So what you, was she driving? <laughs> so you think, hey, he's in a big truck. He's going to be safe. He's fine. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I, have w- a, I have a 2,500. Yeah. And so I used to ride with my seat all the way back. And I guess um, depending on where it gets hit will depend on if the side curtain airbags come open. Well, because of the spot that it got hit on the front side, um, it was the front driver's side. It didn't hit far enough back, so it didn't kick out the airbag. So my head, I guess, they said, bounced off the cab of the truck. She had a full-size SUV. They said it did a complete 180. It hit me so hard, it caused her SUV to do a complete 180 and facing the other direction. Was she injured? Um, I I don't think so. Um, I asked several times um, over the course of a year and a half of recovery and getting better and stuff. But uh, all I did find out is she was actually ill. She was already um, in the stages of dying of some disease, and I don't remember what it was. Oh, wow. 
Um, yeah, so I felt bad um, for her too. Yeah, but I mean, holy cow, you ended up what in the hospital and so um, they said that I went to the hospital uh, that night and uh, you don't remember anything. No, no, and uh, I guess they took me home later that night or whatever because with brain injuries, like um, I had a traumatic brain injury with post concussive syndrome. So I don't know, I didn't back then know anything about brain injuries. I don't remember what happened over a duration of time. I got bits and pieces of things. But ultimately is what happened is I met, ended up with a traumatic brain injury, post-concussive syndrome, ruptured my eardrum, knocked the tooth out of my mouth. There's particles in your ear that you can knock loose, and it causes a syndrome called BPPV. Uh, by, so I don't even, I'm not even going to try to tell you what it is. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> so... It's a vertigo issue, big time. And um, anyways, messed up my neck, my upper and lower back, uh, messed up my hip and my knee. I ended up having to have two uh, hip surgeries due to it. Um, for the first three months, it's real scattered. I just got bits and pieces of memories of like what actually happened during that time frame. I was seeing nine different doctors trying to recover. My speech got messed up, um, you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, you know, uh, neuro-ophthalmologist, neuropsychologist, uh, chiropractic, massage, acupuncture. Like, they had me through the gamut of everything. And um, with that, uh, I, with... I, I look at you, Lonnie, and <laughs> and talk with you. You, you're, you, you appear to have no injuries at all, uh, a concussion of that diagnosis yeah. at, at all. I mean, speaking with you, uh, PTSD... Um, those type of things. So, you know, that, that tells me, uh, you know, you've been, you've been blessed. I mean, you know, the Lord has been watching over you. He's shown you a lot of favor, especially with that accident right there and everything. Right. You just told me and my listeners, uh, uh, the injury that, that you sustained, the injuries you sustained. That is absolutely, yeah, it's amazing. I'm... That's all that, that's, that's enough to keep you in the hospital for a period of time. Oh, absolutely. And then you're going home. Right. Like, right. I got to get to the doggy daycare center tomorrow morning. <laughs> right. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, your your dad probably was expecting you. Ah, don't let no car right, accident right. hold you back, son. Get back in here. Yeah, yeah. We he, need you. He definitely was I, from uh, he's what like I the, was told. He's me. like the <laughs> Army commander himself. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, from what I understand, he really wanted me to come back. Um and stuff, but uh, like I said, the first three months is kind of a blur to me. I can tell you though, uh, brain injuries are horrible. Um, I went through some really dark times. I still have prism glasses that I have to wear um, that help me uh, when my brain gets too fatigued. Uh, if I get too tired, um, my speech will start to slur. My neuro um, motor functions will start to be uh, messed up. Uh, writing and doing things like that after a while I'll start to get messed up. You know, it was a dark time for me. I'm not gonna lie. Um, well, at one point I, I almost, uh, committed suicide and not wow. because I wanted to, because I, my brain was so messed up, had no idea. And I have to give a shout out to my, uh, my good friend, brother, uh, Colonel Maxfield. Uh, if, if it wasn't for that man, I, I wouldn't be sitting here today. He, uh, is the one, he actually suffered a stroke, uh, poor guy. And, and he's been through a lot, that man, I tell you. And uh, he was the one that helped me, sat me down, and walked me through those times. And it's going to be okay. He struggled for, what, I think two and a half years of just intense struggles because of his stroke. And he still has issues to today. But, you know, that man is one wholehearted 
son of a gun, and I, I love him with everything, every ounce of my being, because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here for my girls, and I wouldn't be here at all. Colonel Maxfield, yeah, we uh, we give you a big shout-out. God bless you, Colonel. Um, his his divine appointment was to, you know, he's probably had many in his position, but one of them was uh, to be there for you. That, Absolutely. That's awesome. So I just want to, you know, I want to encourage my, encourage my listeners that um, no matter what's going on in others' lives uh, and yours, um, anytime you have a chance to give life-giving love, uh, advice, uh, just wisdom to somebody who's in need and asking you um, or you felt led to share with them, do that. You could be a Colonel Maxfield to somebody that's in need. Um, so I... I, I I, I love the bulls and everything, but we're. I want to talk real quick about. Um, uh, and I, you know, gosh, it just, you know, I hate to do it, but I will. We're going to talk about your fourth brain injury. It's like, <laughs> you know, dude, you're the toughest guy. No, this is this is uh, this is fascinating. But along with all that, um, you know, you've walked through some really dark places uh, as we spoke earlier. And in uh, introducing you um, in the beginning and the things that you've gone through and overcome, uh, that gives promise to others. And I think you working with veterans and even civilians to help them walk th- through some of these things. And um, so I, I saw the surveillance <laughs> video and uh, you showed that to me. And, I, you know, that was a that was a long time ago. We were in uh, Vegas and. Uh, we were at Fight Capital, and um, he showed me that surveillance, and I couldn't believe it. It was like Novemberish, and uh, and and it was July. Uh, this was in 2019, and July is uh, late July. I think it was around the 29th. Uh, is when a telephone pole. Now, you all know if you're if, when you're listening to this, picture a telephone pole. A, a telephone pole. It's that big. And let me tell you what, those things aren't heavy, or those things aren't light. They're extremely heavy. What is it? How much? How many uh, pounds? They said it was 18, 1,800 pounds. 1,800 pounds. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the sur- surveillance video shows you coming out of a, a storefront. Um, your truck was evidently slipped out of parking and started to roll. And you went to uh, stop that, and I'll let you take the story from here. <laughs> yeah. So a year and a half after after my car wreck, which was my third, then this happened. So uh, I take off running after the truck. I don't remember this. I can only attest to this because I watched the video. And, and so did I. And then from the eyewitness accounts and stuff. And so... I take off after this truck that's rolling, and it rolls into a telephone pole, pushes it, and then the telephone pole comes back down towards where I was running. And I I, I can only assume that I can't fathom the fact if somebody gets hurt from my truck rolling, I, I don't think I could live with myself. I... I, anybody that knows me, I love everybody. I, you know, it's really, it would be hard for me to take a step back and go, wow, I did this. I caused this person some pain. And so uh, that's the only driving force that I can think of that would have kept me going. Because when I got clobbered in that video, you got an 1800 pound telephone pole 
And at first, everybody's, you know, when they hear the story. It fell on your head. Yeah. So when they hear the story, they're like, oh, it must have just brushed him or, you know, barely got him or there's just no way. And then you watch the video and this dang telephone pole just clobbers me right on the head. My, I mean, the force throws me down. My arms go back and, and I disappear out of the view of the camera. And like I said, the only driving force I could think of is the fact that I, I couldn't fathom somebody else in this world getting hurt due to my, my stupidity or whatever it was that happened. And so two seconds later, I jump back up and I'm taken off running after getting clobbered with a telephone pole. How? I don't know. The eyewitness yeah. account, the eyewitness account goes, it was on Spokane News or whatever. An eyewitness account goes, man gets clobbered with telephone pole, somehow doesn't get knocked out, gets back up and starts running. You know, that's the eyewitness account. And it was the guy that was in the white truck that I ran around yeah, that yeah. put that on Spokane News. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, let me tell you. I So I have an Instagram. It's Late Night with Bradley T on Instagram. You can go and follow me, find me. Um, I post uh, cool pics. Um, I'm, I, I actually just started it. So there's some food pics on there because we do food and uh, we we talk a little bit about food. You like food. I know that because we had breakfast this morning and uh, and, and was able to talk. And um, and so I, I w- you know, there, I'm not going to put that video up because there's probably a ton of people who are like, you know, I want to see that video. I want to see that surveillance. You have it. You showed it to me. Yeah. But I am not going to do that. I don't. I don't want. You know, you're you're a, you're a respected veteran. What you're doing to the, you know with veterans also and and anybody you come across, well respected. I'm not going to have anybody out there making you know dumb memes out of it. You know, like oh, when a bad day happens. You know, yeah. I'm just not going to do that. Just just trust us. I saw that. Hits you on the head, boom! You go down, and the next thing you know, you're popping up, and I see you run through the, you know, through the driver's side, uh, or the passenger side of that pickup truck. I see you jetting off, man, and I'm like, holy cow! And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not the only one who has seen it, <laughs> but uh, um, that is absolutely incredible. So, you know, here you are. You have these injuries. And, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about like, you know, your, your faith and, and, and your belief in, in the Lord and, and how that has helped you. But recently you just, you just kind of surrendered everything. Um, uh, we're going to wrap this up here. I, I want you to, uh, walk us through that little bit of testimony. Um, and, and it just happened this year, right? Is that correct? Yeah, so after the telephone pole uh which uh, which by the way was July and right. then I see you in November and yeah. you don't look like no no car accident the year before <laughs> that no telephone pole. Let me tell you what a telephone pole there's not many men in the world who can lift that thing up. It's in I I I don't know. It's super heavy. Anyway, so here we are July and then I see you in November. You look like a GQ model, man, just walking around, <laughs> driving, you know, driving. Yeah. And we're in Vegas. And I'm like, holy cow, you know. And and so fast forward, you go. We come into uh, 2021, and uh, you're you're still you're still going through some stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of residual effects. Um, 
one thing uh, with brain injuries, you start to lose a filter. So sometimes you don't always get a control what comes out of your mouth. Um, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, I, uh, before all this stuff, I, I was never that person to do that. I was always the one that just held it all in. Now it just, it freely flows when it wants to and, and whatever comes out, it comes out. I, I just, you know, you can't really control it and it really sucks. You know, and I'm not going to sit here and try to act like I'm this perfect person, perfect man, perfect father, perfect anything. You know, I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. Um, I've had a lot of things happen in my life. And after that last one and and doing all that stuff and relationships and things like that, working, not working and 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 trying to go to and, school. Yeah. And so uh, it, it it turned around to uh, it was actually this last March Um I had just moved um, a few months prior to that and to my apartment, and uh, one day I just uh, I decided to go down to the river, uh, and it just I was just really down, out, struggling, you know, been through so much in my life, and I just feeling like, man, am I ever gonna get get this break to where you know things are gonna go my way? Because you know, I always thought I'm gonna keep doing it Lonnie's way. I'm going to keep doing it Lonnie's way. Lonnie's way, is, it's going to work. It'll always work out eventually. And so I'm walking down by the river on this trail, and I, I almost turned back. I had to say probably three or four times at least. But something kept pushing me. I don't know what it was. Obviously, it's divine, invention, divine intervention or something. But I keep walking. Had no idea where this trail led to. It's just down by the river. It was peaceful, calm, the flow of the water. Nobody. It was a dirt trail literally right next to the water. Next thing I know, about two and a half miles into this trail, it pops out at the cemetery where my brother and my grandma are buried. And instantly when I realized where it was, I was like, oh, man. And it just kind of hit me, overwhelming emotions and stuff. And so I walked over to the gravesite and and sitting there. And maybe it's weird. Maybe it's not. I'm talking to my brother, telling him and in uh, life and what's happening and just hardcore struggling and, you know, welling up with tears and and I looked up and I said, all right, Lord, I, I've never done this before. You know, I've gone to church and I prayed and, and stuff like that, tried to be the best person I can be, but obviously it's not working. Lonnie's way is no longer working. So I'm putting this all in your hands. And from this point forward, it's, it's up to you to help me. You know, I'm giving everything to you like you tell us to, and, and I'm going to, I'm doing it your way from here on. And, uh, I had never had when I started walking away from that gravesite, more peace come over me in my entire life. Don't know why they say it's because I, I gave my life to the Lord, which is amazing. And if that's what it was, praise the Lord. Um, walking that, away, it just, it definitely was peaceful. The most calming feeling I'd ever had in my life. And, uh, you know, am, am I going to say that everything has been perfect since then? No, not even at all. No. And, no. and, and there's a misconception uh if if you know people are like oh well i just gave my life to the lord but gosh you know they they took a dollar from me at 7-eleven and and, and right. it's, it's not about that you know yeah no uh you know it, you, you have a target on your back principality right. you give you give your life to jesus christ uh principality is going to put a, a target on your back he's going to do everything he can and it within his powers to take you away from that straight and narrow path, you know that that path that you walked on, to um, that which ended up in in the um, a burial 
uh, where you're where your mom and your brother are, and you're My, able to yeah, grandma them. and brother, yeah, yeah, grandmother, yes, um, and and that path right there, you know, Prince, there was probably a struggle in the heaven in the heavenly realm, um, a a, uh, a small warfare, saying we're gonna we're gonna distract him, we're gonna tell him not to go there, uh, they're gonna keep everything they can from you um, walking in a righteous path, and for like you said, has anything has everything been perfect after that? No. And 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 that's the way it is. So you have to learn how to warfare back and declare and walk in walk in victory. Never walk in defeat. Every day you wake up, say, "I am going to choose to walk in victory." If you get up and you say, "Oh, I am defeated again," there's another day where I'm I'm going to hurt. I'm going to just feel bad for myself. Then you're walking in defeat. You'll be overcome by principality, and you'll never allow God's light. And his direction for you, you won't listen to him. You're, you'll be, your eyes will be blind, and your ears will not hear. I agree. I agree, and that was well said. Um, you know, Brad, I honestly have to say that in my life, like I said, I made a lot of mistakes. I'm, I still make mistakes. I'm not perfect. Who is right? Right. Absolutely. But the one thing I have to believe in my whole heart of hearts is, no matter what, I always try to do right by others. I try to do the best that I feel that I can. Um, and at some point I feel like by doing this, it's going to just work out. I have to believe in my soul that if I'm doing right by others, I'm doing right by me. I at least do the best that I can still fumble here and there and making mistakes and, and stuff along the way, but I'm still trying right at some point it's all got to work out. And, and, and I completely agree with you. You continue to, uh, walk in that faith. Uh, I encourage you to do that. Uh, we we were uh, talking a little bit over breakfast when uh, we were able to have breakfast this morning, and um, you have some scripture uh, you wanted to share. We're gonna we're gonna wrap this up for our listeners, and uh, I'd like for you to share uh, scripture um, you shared with me. Absolutely. So um, this is a good one that I like. Uh, Psalms one one through six. It says, "Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked." nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff, that wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Yeah, thank you. That that's amazing, and I I, I got to tell you, just uh, you know, being able to talk with you and uh, just walk through some of the events that uh, you've been uh, you've endured. Holy cow! Um, it's been, it's been, you know, it's been awesome. Yeah, it it definitely, it definitely has. Um, you know, one thing real quick, and I, I love to end on scripture. That's great. But I, I got to give a shout out to my brothers. Um, any men, women, it doesn't matter. We're all brothers and sisters out there in the military. You have struggles, you know, PTSD, whatever demons you're dealing with, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, at some point, hopefully you can take that step in the right direction, check your ego at the door, um, be able to reach out and get the right help. 
buddy of mine, thank goodness, back home, uh, Will Sampson. He's a V works at the VA Outreach Center there, and he has helped. I can't tell you how many veterans, but the problem is, is the veterans don't realize they can get the help, or you know, the VA will deny you. It, it, they're notorious for that. You always get denied, and then people just give up and don't ever give up. Keep fighting for what you deserve, for what you you have fought for this country and, and you deserve for yourselves. And, you know, and, uh, like you said, I'm going back to school, uh, bachelor's in business admin and, and I'm doing a internship right now at, uh, the VA outreach center and it's a work study and I'm trying to help as many veterans as I can. Um, that's one thing I got to tell you, brothers, sisters out there, you know, don't be afraid to get the help because once you take that step in the right direction, you know, and even turning your life to the Lord, Things start turning around. Amen. It takes I, time. I uh, I'm a, I'm in total agreement with you, and thank you for your service again, uh, Lonnie. I I I can't begin to tell you how much I I love you, man. This is just a an incredible time just listening to uh, your testimony, and uh, I've known you for for some for some time now. And um, promise me one thing, uh, just kind of steering away from our topic just slightly. Uh, if you ever get back into the uh, touring with the professional bull riders, um, and you ever come to Colorado Springs, which I, you guys do, that circuit ends up here, and then the finals in Las Vegas. Those finals are awesome. I I, I want to do them this year. The finals. Yeah. I don't know if you'll be if you if you ever go back and you tour with them, you go back to work with them for a season. Uh, promise me one thing that you will. Make friends with a champion champion bull rider, and we can get them on my podcast, and we'll have a nice little chat with them and talk about uh, the bulls. You've worked around the bulls. You've taken me behind the, the scenes uh, and where the bulls uh, and the shoots and and uh, just a backstage tour really is what it was. And yeah. was able to go with a group of others who had you know the VIP seats, and uh, that was really incredible. Uh, it was really cool. But uh, it, when that time comes, if it happens, yeah, love to have. Uh, I just love to come out and watch it. I've, I've seen you out there, and man, you're not afraid of those things. And man, then I'm, if if you've ever seen one up close, holy <laughs> cow, they're they're huge. Those guys in Barcelona that run with the bulls, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they got cojones, man. Right, right. Holy cow! Well, you look- know, uh, Brad, real quick, uh, one thing I got to say about the PBR. If you remember when we were there, uh, one thing I love about the PBR is the fact that they start every uh, a session with the national anthem, absolutely, and a prayer, absolutely. And, you know, that's yes. one sport that stuck to it, and I absolutely love them for that because they will never steer away from it, no matter what political game is going on out there, who's saying what. They hold true to the American heart, which is saying prayers and our national anthem. Absolutely. And you hit it on the money. And I am surprised I I didn't bring that up. Thank you for doing that. And I remember uh, I remember the man here in, uh, several times. He, he asked God, watch over the cowboys. Absolutely. Bless the cowboys. Lord, yeah. keep them safe. And uh, and he's also thankful that the bulls are are still God's creation and and you know that they're not injured as well. And oh, so, absolutely. Uh I think that's great. Listen, um in Matthew 7 uh 13 and 14, um I was just kind of reminded of this scripture and you were talking about walking down that path and and uh I I started to say about uh maybe the 
uh, spiritual warfare going on around in the heavenly realm, principality and and uh, God's uh, will for your life. And um, there was a struggle at that moment. And and I'm reminded of Matthew seventeen or Matthew seven thirteen and fourteen. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and and broad is the road. And that could, uh, in some translations, that is for wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction and and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow is the path that leads to life and only a few find it so i want to encourage my listeners if you if you're out there uh at the end of every one of my podcasts i want i always want to make available to you a gift and i have a bible for you if you are interested in uh, a Bible, email me at bradleyt at latenightwithbradleyt.com. Um, put down in there, uh, you'd like to uh, receive a Bible, give me your address, and I'll ship one out to you. Again, that is bradleyt, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, T, at latenightwithbradleyt.com. Follow me on Instagram, Late Night with Bradley T. Hey, Lonnie, uh, thank you. I want to thank you, and and all my listeners probably want to say, hey, tell that man thank you for your service, everything he's gone through. Um, come see me again. If, if you're back in town, I'd love to have you back on. And, Absolutely. And we'll do a part two or something, or we'll, go, we'll talk about food. We didn't get a chance to talk about food <laughs> or anything. Uh, we did talk about breakfast, and you know, which was good. Hopefully um, we won't be talking about another brain injury. Yeah, no. We, <laughs> yes, I pray. And I think you're done with those. I, I hope so. Yeah, I, I, think you're, I think you're done with those. Yeah. I pray you're done with those. We declare it in Jesus' name. Thank you, everybody. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, I thank you for listening to my podcast, Late Night with Bradley T. Y'all have a good evening or a good day, whatever time you're listening to this. God bless you. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Ancient of Days loves you. And I want you to know that. Y'all have a good day. Join me Join me next time. We're going to have another guest back on. Uh, trying to get a deputy sheriff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get a deputy sheriff. We're going to talk some stuff. But if that doesn't happen, I'll have somebody else on, a co-host. We'll get something going. Y'all have a good night. Thank you. <laughs>